We appreciate everybody tuning in. We appreciate all the text messages, all the phone calls, all the emails that we receive every single uh, week. And we thank you for tuning in. Have an extra good program coming to you this afternoon or this morning, excuse me. Hope it's going to be of great value to you throughout this week and throughout actually the rest of your life. That's that's our goal. We want we want you to uh, use it, put it into practical application, and, and, and never leave it. This program is being brought to you by your friends at the Church of Christ, located at 3816 West Fountain Road. That's 3816 West Fountain Road, Ludington, Michigan, 49431. Our service times are every Sunday morning from 1030 to 1130. We'll have a Bible study. From 1130 to 1230, we have our church worship, and you're all invited to come. Come on out. You bring your hearts. You bring your thinking caps. You bring your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. Best deal in town. You can't beat it. We would love to meet you. This morning, I want to talk to you about gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about how the Holy Spirit is imparted to people. I want to talk to you about all the false claims that people make about being led by the Spirit. This past week, I had an opportunity to have four different Bible studies with four, actually five different individuals about this topic. It seems like everybody in the world wants to prove their Christianity by some kind of a Spirit-led life. Somehow, in their minds, they've conjured up this notion, and I know how it comes. It comes from all the false preaching that's out there and all the false pastors, quote-unquote, that are out there, teaching people that, that you have to have the Spirit in you and be led by the Spirit in order to understand God's Word. Wrong. You have to have the Spirit in you and be led by you, and that's when you know and you can really feel and you really got it, that you know you're right and wrong. You need to be, have the Spirit in you so that you can then speak in tongues. Wrong. All those ideas is false ideas. There's false Christianity. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 said, When you read, you can understand my knowledge in the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he said, Study to show yourselves approved unto God. In chapter 3, he said, It is the word that will give us everything we need in our life to be Christian, to know, to have correction, to have reproof, to have rebuke, that we may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. It's the word of God. In fact, may I suggest to you this morning, you would not know whether there be any spirit of God if it were not for the word of God. You see, the spirit of God led the writers of the Bible by inspiration of God. These men were spirit-filled, and they wrote down the words of the Spirit so that we could have them today. The miracles that accompanied those writers were necessary for that time to prove that the message that they were writing was from God. That was the exact point and purpose of the miracles. In the book of Mark, chapter 16, this is a favorite passage used by those who claim that they work miracles today. By the way, there are no miracles being worked today. There are no miracles today. They have all ended. The Apostle Paul said that the tongue ceasing would, uh, speaking would cease, that the miraculous gift of knowledge and of prophecies and all the miraculous gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 would end. They would come to a culminating point when they would be done. 
And the purpose of those miracles, according to the book of Mark, was to confirm the word. So after, uh, let me read that to you. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, 99% of the religious world who wants to invoke and, and call upon these miraculous gifts, they stop reading right there. And that's a major problem. They stop reading after they get all of these things mentioned that they would have for a certain time, for a certain purpose, promised to a certain people. The next verse in Mark chapter 16 says this. So then after that, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with the signs, miracles following. The purpose of those signs, the purpose of those miracles were to confirm the word. That was the reason God gave them the gift of those miracles. When they went out preaching the word 2,000 years ago, as Paul went to say, the church at Ephesus, or when he would go to the Galatians or the Thessalonians or wherever he would go, he would go into the Gentile nations and he would preach to them God's word. But that's before he even wrote those books. So he could not prove what he was saying by opening up his New Testament and saying, well, look right here, look what God says. He couldn't do that. They had not yet had it written down. So if they wanted Paul to prove that the message he was giving them was from God, he could confirm it with the miracles that he was given. In Hebrews chapter 2, let's begin verse number 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Did you, did you hear that word confirmed? The word was confirmed. How? Verse 4. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. The word had to be confirmed by the miracles. That was the purpose of the miracles. The miracles didn't come to save people in and of them by themselves. It wasn't a sign that you were saved. It was a sign that the word that was being given was from God. That was the purpose of the miracles. Make no mistake about it. There are no biblical miracles taking place today. There are none. These people that run around talking and speaking in tongues, they don't even understand that in Acts chapter 2, the tongue speaking was known languages. If you had the gift of tongues, you could speak in any known language without having any prior learning or studying of that language. It was a miraculous manifestation. So when Paul would go into a foreign country, he could speak that language. And every man heard him speak in his own language, Acts chapter 2 says, when they spoke in tongues. It's not this gibberish that these people say today. It's not this, this uh, 
angelic talk that they claim that they have. It's not this this goo goo ga ga da da ba ba stuff ta ta ta. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely foreign and unknown in the Bible. Let me tell you a true story. About 15 years ago, I had the privilege of meeting a young man, and he was an ordained minister in the Church of God. When I had met him, he had just become a member of the Church of Christ. He was baptized for the remission of his sins into the body of Christ, as the Bible says one must do in order to be saved. And those teaching that you're saved without baptism, they're false teachers. If you're going on your way to a church this morning and your pastor's telling you all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer, all you have to do is invite the Lord into your heart, all you have to do is receive the Lord Jesus, they're giving you a false message. That is nowhere to be found in the Bible for the unbeliever, for those outside of a relationship with God. Never is one told to pray or to receive Jesus in their heart in order to become a Christian. Never. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So this man had just obeyed the gospel and become a Christian. But before that, this man was an ordained minister in the church of God. And I asked him about his experience in that organization. Because they believed in tongue speaking. They believed in the gift of healing. They believed in all these miraculous gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. There are nine miraculous gifts. You can read about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he believed that with all of his heart. And he tried following that. And when he went for his ordination, they taught him how to speak in tongues. He said, I don't know. I, I can't do it. I, I, I've tried. I believe with all my heart. I have all the faith I know I can have. I, I, I prayed for it. I, I, I want to receive the gift. And they said, don't worry. It's all good. We'll, we'll teach you how to speak in tongues. Well, at the time, he was satisfied with that. He allowed them to teach him how to speak in tongues. And here's how they taught this young man to do that. They told him, Repeat after me, I should have bought a Honda. So he repeated it, I should have bought a Honda. They said, good, speed it up, say it quicker, I should have bought a Honda. Say it quicker, I should have bought a Honda. Say it quicker, should have bought a Honda. Now they said, add ta-ta-ta to the end of it. Should have bought a Honda, ta-ta-ta. And he's got it, oh, praise God, hallelujah. He's speaking in tongues and they're all, and he's all happy with himself. and. And what did he say? I should have bought a Honda, ta, ta, ta. And that's speaking in tongues today. And he became an ordained minister in the church of God. Oh, and they also taught him how to react when the Holy Spirit hit him. And they taught him how to fall. They taught him how to catch others who would fall. People, let me tell you right now, the Holy Spirit never makes anyone fall. Ever. In fact, in the Bible, those who would fall down or roll around receive the evil spirits, not the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that the Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in order that we may be able to do all things decently and in order. It doesn't, cause, it doesn't hit us like some kind of a thunderclap and cause us to speak in shudabhadahanda-ta-ta-ta type language doesn't do that, doesn't do all those things. I'm getting a call this morning. Let's see. Uh, and I haven't given my phone number. I need to do that. Good morning, caller. You're on live with Steve. Yeah, I just wanted uh, to make the distinction for the listeners out there that nowadays the church of God is like a charismatic Pentecostal belief. It's not the same as the church of Christ. Okay, good distinction to make. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. 
Okay, thanks. You're welcome. And what the caller is bringing to uh, the table this morning is that, scripturally speaking, in the Bible, we read about the church of God. That church that we read about in the Bible, that church of God, is different than the denominational church of God that exists today in the United States of America. That is a different organization. How do I know? Because they have a different message than the Bible. They teach a different plan of salvation. They worship differently. They do not do things. But they're teaching miraculous, but the Bible says the miraculous would end at some point, and we're going to get to that in just a few moments. By the way, if you would like to call me, if you're listening to me on Wham Radio, the number is 734 822 1600. If you're in the Ludington area listening to me on K Rock, the phone number here is 231 425 6044. Now, let's continue with our studies. One of the greatest false doctrines of the world today is the notion or the idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Everyone that I know of that teaches baptism with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit also teaches water baptism. They teach both. They say in order to be saved, you must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then later, if you want, you can be baptized in water as an outward sign of an inward grace. That is a false doctrine. In every conversation I had this week with every person I was dealing with on this topic this week, I asked everyone, how many baptisms did Paul say existed by the time he wrote the book of Ephesians? And without fail, without exception, the answer was, well, at least two. And they would think in their minds, there's, well, there's the baptism of fire, there's the baptism of cups, there's the baptism of Moses, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's John the Baptist baptism, there's baptism in water for the remission of sins. And so they're not, They're not ignorant of all these baptisms in the Bible. But friends, by the time Paul wrote the book of Ephesians in about A.D. 60, he said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, let's make a distinction right now. The one baptism, the one baptism that Paul is talking about is the baptism that he gave to the Ephesians. That's the one he's talking about. It's the one that was to last forever. It's the one that was given for the remission of sins, not for the purpose of working miracles. That is the baptism that remains today. It's water baptism for the remission of sins. It is not Holy Spirit baptism. Paul said there is only one. So those of you who say it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit you're going to have to now prove somehow that that's for the remission of sins, and you can't do that to save your soul. All right, getting a couple calls. We've got some people's interest this morning. That's always good stuff. Lots of things going on. Um, Let's get back to our purpose and our conversation this morning. Baptism of the Holy Spirit was only promised through the apostles. Are you listening to me? Baptism of the Holy Spirit was only promised to the apostles. Now, let's go to John chapter 14, if, and, and let's read a couple of passages from the book of John to establish what I'm saying. Because I, I don't want to give you my opinion. 
I don't tell you what I what I think. I don't want to tell you what I feel. I want to tell you what the Bible says. Now, in John 14, we find Jesus promising that he's going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. He says, it's necessary that I go, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send the Comforter unto you, which is the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing we have to understand, the first thing we have to do is rightly divide the Word of God. I want to know who is Jesus speaking to? Why is he telling them this? How long would it be? For what purpose is he doing it? All those things are absolutely critical if we're going to gain a proper understanding of this topic. Now we find in John chapter 13 that Jesus is in the upper room with the 12. That's who he's speaking to and that's who he's with in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. He's with the 12 apostles. They're partaking in the Passover meal. He institutes the Lord's Supper in this setting. He's talking to them. He's telling them, I've got to go. I'm going to go to heaven. I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come again unto you that where I am, there you may be also. And he's going through it, and they're not wanting him to leave. And so he says, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will send the Spirit to you. Let me read that to you in John chapter 14, beginning verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for you he dwelleth in you, and you in him, and shall be in you. In who? The twelve apostles, whom the world cannot receive. Now, in chapter 15, Jesus continues, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is telling these 12 apostles they're going to go have, have to go out and preach the gospel to all, every creature under heaven and take the word with them and bear fruit because he ordained them. In John chapter 15, verse 26, he says, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. Now listen, people, and ye also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. No one alive today was with Jesus Christ from the beginning. This is who he is promising the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, the 12 apostles. When Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That baptism is the baptism that the apostles were to go out and to administer. That is the one that is for the remission of sin. Jesus' disciples are the ones that baptize in water for the remission of sin. That is the eternal baptism. In Matthew chapter 28, now watch this closely. Follow me closely here. Verse 18, Jesus said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. 
Jesus here gives the commission to his disciples. You go teach people and then you baptize them. Now listen to me carefully, people. Jesus is the only one who can baptize with the Holy Spirit. But here, Jesus is giving the great commission to his disciples. You go teach them and you baptize them. Now, if Jesus is the only one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit, then he's not expecting his disciples to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's expecting them to baptize them in order that they can have remission of sins and enter into the kingdom of heaven and to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of our Lord. That baptism was to last even unto the end of the world. Which one? The one that the disciples are to administer. When Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, that's 30 years after, that's 30 years after they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the great commission to baptize to the end of the world for the remission of sins would go forever. So when Paul wrote, that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, friends, that must be the one that remains for the remission of sins that is in water. I know it's water baptism. The apostle Peter tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. He says that water in the days of Noah saved eight souls. The like figure one, two, baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting in the way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism doth also now save us. What baptism, Peter? The like figure of the water that saved Noah. Water, baptism. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Acts chapter 8. When Paul wrote, there's one baptism, that's the baptism that was taking place, not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was only promised to the twelve, whom the world could not receive because the world was not with him from the beginning. We have been sold a bill of goods when we've been told we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a false message. That is a lying message. And that is something that is not true. And these people tell you that, oh, I received the Spirit. Oh, I got the God's Spirit in me. And that leads me. And that guides me. And that direct, And I know and I feel this experience. And eh, wrong. That is not how the Holy Spirit is imparted. It's not even how it was imparted in the first century, except for the 12 apostles. The Holy Spirit was always given the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit during the building stage and days of the church, during the last days of old covenant Israel, while the church was in her infancy being built. Those miraculous gifts that were given during that time was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. That's the only way they could receive a miraculous gift. Get it through the laying on of the apostles' hands. What apostles? The ones that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the ones that were in the upper room with Christ. And with one exception, we have the apostle Paul, who became an apostle, and receive that baptismal measure as he explains in 2 Corinthians chapters 9 through 11. Now, are you following me? These people today that are saying, I'm led by the Spirit, I'm guided by the, I feel it, it came into me, they say. When it, just some whammies, yeah, I felt something deep inside. Well, people, listen to me. 
My wife's looking at me. She knows what I'm going to say. Every now and then, you get gas really, really bad and just sort of binds you up and it hurts and, and, and you feel something deep inside. Am I going to run around saying, I got the spirit? Oh, but no, that's not it. It's when I get the relief from that. That's when I say, hallelujah, I feel something. It feels great. It's, it's joyful. Oh, I got something going on here. Listen, I say all that not to be funny. I'm saying all that to make a point. You cannot go by your feelings and think that somehow that is a testimony of your salvation or your gifts. This week, I had two different people on two different occasions want to give their testimony to me. I did not care to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I was gracious, though. I was good with them, and I listened. And after they explained to me their salvation process and how they know they were saved and how they felt this overwhelming uh, experience they had never had before that they just knew it was God's spirit and they they knew they, they just knew that they were Christians then because of this experience they had you know what I asked them I asked them do you suppose the Muslims have that kind of experience what about the ones that flew into the World Trade Centers on September the 9th 2001 you reckon those people had great feelings that they were God's chosen. Listen, they had such a strong feeling about it, they got into jet airplanes and they flew into the World Trade Centers. That's how strongly they feel. Do you think pagans have strong feelings about um, the terrorist attacks took place on September 11th? Thank you. My bad. I said September 9th. It's September 11th, 2001. Thank you for the correction. Do you think the pagans have feelings that they're right when they're worshiping their sun god? What about the Native American Indians when they go to worshiping their wolf or, or their mother sun or mother earth, excuse me, and, and the sun that it gives all life and oh, they just feel this special connection. They pop a they pop a couple peyote mushrooms and they, they get on a buzz and they go on their spirit guide and oh boy, they feel it real good then, don't they? And they just know that earth is guiding them and earth is their god. They just know it. They feel it. They have this great experience. That is no proof. The Apostle Paul says we're to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And we're to prove it by sound doctrine, he would say in Titus chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, the Apostle Paul there would say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instructions on righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. What proves us, Paul? The word of God. What corrects us, Paul? The word of God. What gives us everything we need to have to be thoroughly furnished into all good works? The word of God. People, that is exactly how the Holy Spirit works in the Christian, through the word of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter chapter 1. The Bible was written by inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. It was given unto them. They wrote it. It was confirmed unto them by the miracles. After they wrote it and we had the Bible in its completion and it was confirmed by the miracles, the miracles were to end at that time. That's what Paul's writing about. In the book of 1 Corinthians, 
You can actually read about it from chapter one all the way through the entirety of the book. He writes about it in the book of Ephesians. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know the desolation thereof is nigh. For these be the days of vengeance when all things which are written shall be fulfilled. All things written will be fulfilled. When, Jesus? When Jerusalem's compassed with armies. When would, Jesus, when would Jerusalem be compassed with armies? Well, it was encompassed in armies in 66 and a half A.D., and for a period of three and a half years, it was besieged by the Romans, and it fell and was destroyed in 70 A.D., and the miracles ended then. All things written would be fulfilled then. Paul said the miracles would cease. Was that a prophecy that had to come to fruition? You better believe it. When was it fulfilled? Jesus said it would all be fulfilled by then. Now listen to me. Jesus said that because that's what Daniel said in Daniel 9:24. Jesus said that because that's what Micah said in Micah chapter 7 verse 15. Jesus said that because that's what Zechariah would say in Zechariah chapters 12 to 14 that when salvation would come, he would cause the prophet and the unclean spirit to depart out of the land when the Lord would come to battle with all the nations against Jerusalem. Zach, you can read about that in Zechariah 12 to 14. That's when the Holy Spirit miraculous measure would come to an end. That's when it would cease. I hope you're following me here, children, because this is very important. If you're led by some feeling telling you that you're saved, that's wrong. Why do your pastors tell you that stuff when it's wrong? Why do your pastors teach you these things when it's not scripturally accurate? Number one, I believe it's by their traditions that they've held to and they believe their whole life. Number two, it's because they don't know how to rightly divide the church. Number three, it's because they want you to do things that the Bible says would end and they want you to continue in these things because they're playing your emotions. That's what they're doing. They're playing your emotions. When your emotions get involved, you lose your sense of intellect. You lose your sense of direction. The Bible, Jesus said, you go teach them, you baptize them, and then you teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and along with you all the way even to the end. Christianity is an intellectual religion. Get it? Christianity is an intellectual religion. Okay, folks, I hope you're paying attention this morning. You see... These pastors running around telling you that you get some feeling and that's proof. They're no, they're no different than the Muslims. They're no different than the pagans. They're no different than the atheists. They're no different than the Buddhists, the Hindus, the, the, the Harry Christians. Those people sitting around doing their yoga going, um, 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 until they get some internal kind of a feeling. And they, oh, now I know I have peace because, oh, I just became so, so peaceful inside. And, and that's proof. That's no proof. In fact, when that disagrees with the word of God, it's a lie. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Try the spirits whether they be of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world and deceived many. I'm to try the spirits. How do I put the spirit to a test? I try it by a sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Listen, the apostle Paul would say, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. When somebody comes around and says, I know I'm saved because the feelings I get put in me by the Spirit, that is a different gospel than Paul taught. 
Paul taught, we get the spirit in us through the word. That's what Paul teaches for us that would be for us today. Now, let me talk to you about how the Holy Spirit was conveyed in the first century while they needed it before the Bible was in its written form. Let me go there. In Acts chapter 8, let me flip over there in my Bible. In Acts chapter 8, we find the evangelist Philip. He's going to go to Samaria, and he's going to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. To the Samaritans. And we find that in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, Philip had his hands laid on him by the apostles. So now he's prepared. Now he's ready. He's going to go, and he's going to preach the word to those in Samaria. So, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. How could Philip do it? Acts 6, 6, the apostles had laid their hands upon Philip. Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. You get the picture, people? Philip goes to Samaria. He's working miracles. He is showing his messages from God. But there's this guy there named Simon, and he had been using sorcery and witchcraft, and he had been deceiving the people, claiming he was some great one. Now listen, verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God, this Simon. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Isn't that beautiful? These people stopped listening to Simon. They started believing Philip's message, and they're baptized. Okay, wonderful. They got the Holy Spirit then, right? <clears throat> Wrong. Oh, so you, the way they did it was through the spirit coming into them. That's how they, wrong. How they get it. Philip was teaching them. He was preaching. They believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom. It wasn't some feeling. It wasn't some spiritual movement. They are using their intellect. Now follow me, people. Follow me. Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, wait a minute. Hang on. Why? I have a question here. Are you listening? Why did Peter and John have to go to Samaria after they heard the Samaritans had become Christians? Why? Well, here's why. Follow me. Verse 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Peter and John comes to Samaria. They pray that these Samaritans might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit hadn't fallen on any of them? No, but they were Christians. Yes, they were baptized for the remission of their sins. They were followers of Christ, but they hadn't received the gift of the Holy Ghost yet. Now, wait a minute. 
verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter and John had to go there to lay their hands on them in order for them to receive this miraculous measure of the Holy Ghost. Listen carefully, children. Are you listening? Acts chapter 8, verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Oh! Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, this miraculous measure of the Holy Ghost was extended to them. He saw it. He wanted it. He desired it. He said, let me pay you that I can have it too. Nope. 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 Not going to happen. Not going to happen. We're not receiving your money for this kind of thing. In fact, Peter told him to repent and pray that the sins of his heart might be forgiven him in verse 22 for even thinking such a thing. It was God's desire. It was God's plan that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the, the miraculous gifts would be extended for the purpose of confirming the word because the Bible wasn't yet written when Philip went to Samaria. The Bible wasn't yet written when Paul went to the city of Ephesus, when Paul went to Thessalonica. While he was preaching the gospel, the New Testament had not yet been written. So he would go and he would say, I have a message from God. And he could prove it by the miracles which were confirming the word. That's how it works. In Acts chapter 19, Paul runs into some folks. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They only had the baptism of John. So what did Paul say? You got the wrong baptism. He baptized them a second time in water for the remission of sins. Ephesians 4, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's the baptism that washes away sins. Ephesians chapter 5. And then he laid his hands on them, and then they could speak with tongues. When? After he laid his hands on the Christians, after those who had become Christians. That's exactly when and how that worked. Now, I hope you're following me. I hope you're listening carefully. Are you with me? In Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, I want you to listen to something. This is very, very, very crucial. Beginning verse 1, Romans 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among who are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to the saints at Rome. He's writing to those who were beloved and called of God in Rome, Christians. Now listen to what he says. Verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you, you know, the Roman church, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. Now hang on, Paul. Wait just a second here, buddy. Why did you long to see the brethren at the church of Rome? Paul said it, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, you may be established. 
Paul said, I have to come to you. I have to see you. I have to be with you. Why? I'm an apostle. Well, yeah. And through the laying on of the apostles' hands is the gift of the Holy Spirit given. Oh, so Paul had to literally go to Rome that he could lay his hands on them? That's exactly what this is teaching. You see, your pastors that are out there today, they call themselves pastors. They aren't. They don't even know the true definition of a pastor. We'll get into that as time proceeds. But these birds out there saying all these ridiculous things, they don't know what they're talking about. They, they have to tell you the Spirit has to hit you, and that's how you get it. But if you get it wrong, then the Spirit of God has got you doing things wrong. Isn't that right? But they got to tell you that so you feel good about it. Why? Because the world today follows their emotions instead of their intellect. Listen to me, people. God wants us to follow our intellect first. We do what we know is right, and then our emotions follows that, and we can be joyful and gleeful and 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 feel wonderful about doing what God told us to do, asked us to do. It's an intellectual thing, then it's followed by good feelings. The world today has it the exact opposite. They tell you, honey, if it feels good, it must be right. Well, sweetheart, if that's the way you really feel deep in your heart, that must be the right thing for you, and don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. Well, I'm telling you you're wrong. God's telling you you're wrong. Jesus is telling you you're wrong. The Apostle Paul is telling you that you're wrong, that we're not to walk by some kind of a feeling or an emotion. We are to walk by intellect, by our knowledge. Christianity is a taught religion. It's not a better felt than told mystical experience. These false pastors and these false churches that are out here, and they're all over the world, they're, they're teaching people that faith is a blind leap in the dark. It's no such thing. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 teaches us. We get our faith through the word of God. That confirms it. That, that settles it. If God says it, that settles it. That's how we're to try the spirits. By sound doctrine, we're to put them to the test. By sound doctrine. If anybody preaches any other gospel than that which we've preached, though we are an angel from heaven, do it. Let them be accursed. We know through the gospel is the word of God that we are to learn, that we're to understand, that guides us, that guards us, that protects us. And if you want the Holy Spirit in you, what you must do is get the word in you. You cannot have the Holy Spirit in you unless you get the word in you. Now, listen carefully. In the church at Rome, they if it happens the way these birds are teaching it happens today, well, you got to get the Spirit in to guide you. You got to get the Spirit in to lead you. You got to feel the Spirit. Then why didn't the Church of Rome get it that way? Why did Paul say, I can't wait to come see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift? I got to come and I got to be with you. Why, Paul? Because I desire that you can have a spiritual gift. Why was that important, Paul? Because when Simon saw that the, by the laying on of the apostles' hands they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, he offered them money and wanted to buy it. It's the exact opposite today of what you've been hoodwinked into believing. You've been sold a bill of goods. You've been sold down the river. These people who say you get it a different way is calling God a liar. They're saying Paul made a huge mistake. Why didn't Paul write to the church at Rome? And instead of saying, hey, I desire to come unto you that I may impart some gift unto you. Why didn't he say, Hey, y'all, just believe more and God will whammy zappy you. And you'll get some mystical feeling that resides deep down within your belly, within your soul. Just all you got to do is 
pray more. God will send it to you. You'll feel it. No, no, no. And again, no. That is not how it happened scripturally. That is not how God did it. And now let me continue, children. Watch this carefully. The miraculous gifts were to cease. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the apostle Paul, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me back up a little bit. Paul mentions nine miraculous gifts. And he tells the people he's writing to at Corinth, the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts. At that time, they needed the gifts to confirm the word. He's telling them, you covet that. But I show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way than what? The nine miraculous gifts. You mean there's a better way than these gifts? Oh, absolutely. What is it? Faith, hope. And love, and the greatest of these is love. That's the abiding factors. That's what would remain. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hope, oh yes, hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. First Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 and 27. Love, absolutely. Love is the first and greatest command. You better believe it. And through your love of God, you will do what he said. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Notice it doesn't say, hereby we do know that we know him when we get a funny feeling. Hereby we do know we know him when the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Hereby we do know that we know him when I got in a bad car accident and somehow I was delivered from being injured and I know God was with me. And that's my testimony. No, no, no. And again, no, no, people. The problem is you don't want to study. You don't want to read. You, you want to have some kind of a feeling that's leading you, and every time we follow our feelings, every single time we follow our feelings alone, we get in trouble. We feel like having an affair uh, against our spouse. We feel like getting drunk. We feel like looking at pornography. Your feelings will get you in trouble every single solitary time. You need to put your feelings in check. You need to grow up and stop being an immature little child and put away your feelings, and now become a full-grown, mature, intellectual person able to think on your own and reason and study and develop why you're a Christian through Scripture. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said that those miraculous things would end. He said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, verse 8, he says, love will never fail, but whether there be prophecies, speaking of the miraculous prophecies, they shall fail. They're going to stop. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it should vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When, when Paul, would the miraculous be ended? When that which is perfect is come. Oh, what is that talking about? That is talking about the word perfect there in the Greek. Literally means it's the word teleos. It means the culminating point. The completeness, the fullness, when the fullness of everything is completed. You mean the coming of the Lord? Absolutely. That's exactly part of what this is talking about. You mean the doing away of the old law? Yes, that's exactly what this is talking about. You mean the victory over Hades and the victory over death? Absolutely. That's exactly what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 14. It, Paul is talking about when all these things take place. Well, when did Jesus say these things would take place? Jesus said, when you see 
Jerusalem, compass with armies, then know the desolation thereof be nigh, because these be the days of vengeance when all things which are written may be fulfilled, and this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Luke chapter 21, verses 20, 22, and 32. That's when it would be fulfilled. Paul was looking for the same glorious event that would take place that Jesus was looking forward to taking place and foreseeing and telling about would take place also. It was in the last days of old covenant Israel that these miraculous gifts were poured out. The last days of the old covenant world, not the last days of planet Earth like people are falsely teaching you today. That is a false lie. That is that is a denominational, wicked, sinful lie against God, against his son, against the apostles, against the Holy Spirit, and against all the law and the prophecies. They all said that the old law, the old world would have their last days and God would bring a new world. When did he bring the new world? When Christ came. That's when the new world came. When Christ had come in the full-grown, glorified kingdom of the Father. And he said that would happen when they would see Jerusalem compassed with armies. Luke 21, 20, and 31. Huh. You mean to tell me, Steve, Basden, that we're not in the last days now? No, we are not in the last days now. The last days of the Bible was the last days of the old covenant world. Christianity has no last days. Jesus Christ will always be my king. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. He will always be my high priest. He will always be my savior. I will always be in his kingdom. There is no end to the kingdom of Christ. Therefore, the kingdom of Christ has no last days. And by the way, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 teaches, there will be no end to the increase of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No end to the increase of it. What does that mean? Conversion always has to take place. Did you know that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, one generation cometh and goeth, and another generation cometh and goeth, but the earth abideth forever? Did you know that? The earth abides forever. Well, how can that be? How can the earth abide forever? Because have you ever considered God has two different earths? What? Based in? You're a nutcase. You, 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 what are you saying? Right now, there's the physical world and there's the spiritual world. There's the kingdom of Christ. There's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of righteousness. There's the kingdom of sin. There's one world of spiritual things and another world of physical things. There's one heaven and earth of spiritual, and there's one heaven and earth of physical. If one will last forever, like Solomon promised, like Isaiah promised, like the apostle Paul promised, listen, Ephesians chapter three, verse 21, that God may be given glory through Jesus Christ in the church throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Paul said, world without end, amen. It's the eternal purpose of God. In fact, he wrote in Ephesians chapter three, if there's one world, if there's one earth that's not going to end, but there's another world and there's another earth that was to end, and God said one was going to take place at the fall of Jerusalem, and the fall of Jerusalem took place 2,000 years ago, people. Which one is it that ended? The old spiritual covenantal 
world of God ended. They were in their last days 2,000 years ago, and now the kingdom of Christ is eternal with no end abiding on this earth, which abides forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4. Paul is saying, these gifts, they were poured out for the last days. These gifts were poured out to confirm the new covenant. It would all be fulfilled when the old covenant totally ended with the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, when the daily sacrifice was taken away, when the Levitical priesthood was destroyed, when the temple of God, Jesus said, see you not all of these stones, there will not be one stone left here regarding the temple of God that shall not be thrown down till all be fulfilled. Do you believe Jesus or don't you? Jesus said it's going to all be fulfilled. That's when he would come in the clouds. That's when he would come at the trumpet. That's when all the tribes of the earth would mourn and see him. That's, that's when he would come to gather together the elect. That's the judgment. When this generation shall not pass to all these things be fulfilled, when Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple stones would be knocked down, every one of them, that's exactly when Jesus said, it would all take place. So much here. There's so much here. Let's get back on target. The miracles. And by the way, let's define that. Let's define a miracle. I think I've got about five minutes. Let's define a miracle. A proper definition of miracle. It's not something amazing. It's not something that you just can't under- explain or understand. Let me, let me tell you a quick true story. My father-in-law had a heart attack when he was 40 years old. I was dating my wife at the time. In fact, we were married at the time. He went through all the tests, and this is back in the 80s. They told him, we're going to do something to you that's very, very, very rare, very, very, in an early experimental stage. We're going to give you a heart transplant. Now, for those of you listening to me on Wham Radio in Ann Arbor, he had it done at the University of Michigan way back in the 80s. He was one of the first ones in the state of Michigan to have a heart transplant. And I'll never forget it. He got the call. We rushed to the hospital. His mom came in, his dad came in, his family was there, his three children, I was there. And we're all waiting for hours in the waiting room and they're operating on him. And and halfway through the procedure, the doctor walks in and he looked exhausted, he's sweating. He's got a cup of coffee and he says, okay, we have his heart out of him. We're getting ready to put the new heart in him, but I had to take a break. And I was sitting there in utter amazement, thinking he's laying in there right now with no heart in him, and you're out here having a cup of coffee? Oh, man, hey, get in there. Do something. He, he finally went back, and he finished the procedure. Several hours later, he came out utterly exhausted, and he said, the operation was a success. There's no runs. There's no drips. There's no errors. Everything looks fantastic. And immediately, his mother jumped up and said, it's a miracle. And I turned to my wife and I said, no, that's no miracle. If it were a miracle, the hospital would not have been involved. If it were a miracle, the doctor would not have had to cut his chest open. If it were a miracle, he wouldn't be laying in there on a gurney right now with life support keeping him alive. No, no, no. It may have been a marvelous thing. It may have been something that I personally cannot explain, but that is not a miracle. A miracle is divine intervention where the laws of nature are suspended, discernible to the human senses. When you see something, hear something, you know 
that the laws of nature have been suspended and defied by deity. That's when it's a miracle. You go out and walk on water, that's a miracle. You raise someone who's been legitimately dead for four days, that's a miracle. You heal the blind and, and all these things. You speak in tongues, which are other languages, that's a miracle. Those things were to cease, those things were to stop. But that's a properly defined miracle. The things they got going today is a bunch of hogwash. It's a bunch of hooey. Anybody in the state of Michigan, anybody in the United States of America that would like to debate me on this, I'm your huckleberry. Don't let your pastors get away with lying to you any longer. Don't let your pastors fill you with all this spirit-led garbage, which is all it is. Yes, I have the spirit of me, but I have the spirit of me through the word. I get more word in me, I get more spirit in me. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, the apostle Paul wrote that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. Now get it. In Romans 8, he said, if you have Christ in you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Well, if Christ dwells in my heart by faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, I have Christ in me by what I know of him, what I understand of him, what I got from God's word. And that's exactly how the spirit dwells in me also. And anybody teaching you anything differently is a liar and the truth is not in them. You tell them to call Steve Baisden. You tell them to call me with you in their presence. Let's have us a Bible study. I'll meet with anyone, anywhere, at any time. We can discuss these matters. We'll open up our Bibles. We'll discuss it nice. We'll discuss it fair. We'll get to the bottom of this, but you call me. My phone number is 231-425-6044. That's my cell number. If you're calling from Ann Arbor and you want to call through WHAM, it's 734-822-1600. Please call me. Let's get together. Let's have an open oral debate if you'd like. I'll debate you publicly on this, and I promise you this. I won't tell you what I feel. I won't tell you my opinion. I won't tell you what I think. I'll give you a book, chapter, and a verse. I'll give you a thus saith the Lord, or I won't say a thing about it. Now, we love you. We care for you. We want you to call us. And one more time, my cell phone number is 231-425-6044.